Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. In recent months, we've spent a lot of Sunday mornings in the Gospel of Luke, which is certainly not a bad thing. And we'll be spending more time in that text as we move toward and then into autumn. But I'm challenging myself to also keep us connected with other threads of biblical literature. So for a couple of Sundays now, we're going to look at the book known as The Letter to the Hebrews. Now, most biblical texts that are called letters, you know, the epistles, really were letters. St. Paul absolutely corresponded via letter with churches in Rome and uh, Galatia and Corinth. But this text isn't a letter. It's actually a sermon. We don't know who wrote it or when or from where or to whom. The title to the Hebrews is pretty much just tradition. What is clear is that the recipients were in need of what the text will call a word of exhortation because they were feeling worn out. As my favorite New Testament scholar Tom Long puts it, they are tired. Tired of serving the world, tired of worship, tired of Christian education, tired of being peculiar and whispered about in society, tired of the spiritual struggle, tired of trying to keep their prayer life going, tired even of Jesus. I read that and I thought, yeah, well, get in line. Church, the pace of modern life is tiring. The relentless reality of injustice is tiring. The sudden surge in both stupidity and meanness is tiring. And goodness knows the pandemic has left us all exhausted. My prayer is that spending time with this text will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help revive us as it apparently revived our ancestors in the faith. Because faith is what it's all about. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verses one through three and eight through 12. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is visible was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he and Sarah set out, not knowing where they were going. By faith, they stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren. 
because he considered God who had promised to be faithful. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The concept of faith is the oxygen of the book of Hebrews. This book uses the word faith more than any other book in the entire New Testament. In its 13 chapters, faith is named 32 times. And my goal for this morning is simply to help us consider what faith is and how it works in our life, even when we're tired. My main focus will be the first three verses of today's reading, but the rest of the passage references a truly iconic faith story, which John read an excerpt of. Now, just a few weeks ago, we spent an entire sermon in the midst of the Abraham and Sarah saga, so I'm not going to delve back into that today. I'll simply note that the reason yet another snippet of that great saga has appeared in the lectionary is because the faith story of those people is foundational to Christianity, as well as to Judaism and to Islam. The story of Abraham and Sarah is such a faith touchstone because it involves two directions of faithfulness. God's faithfulness in fulfilling promises even when those promises seemed impossible to fulfill, and human faithfulness in believing in God's power and goodness. So that's the first aspect of faith I'd like to highlight. When we have faith, which is to say not merely belief but also trust and confidence in God, when we have faith, what we have faith in is God's faithfulness toward us. That's the facet of faith I hope we'll hold on to from Abraham and Sarah. Okay. Back to the reading's first three verses, each of which carries other facets of the subject. There's the text's opening definition of faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then comes a, what in the world does that mean, statement. By faith, our ancestors received approval. And then comes this nod to the mystery in which we swim. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is visible was made from things that are not visible. Forgive me for jumping around, but I just have to start with that last line. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is visible was made from things that are not visible. I have to start with that because last Wednesday, I attended a webinar featuring one of my theology professors and one of my Old Testament professors and my ethics professor who preached here last fall and Professor Chris Dupree, author of, among other books, The Idiot's Guide to Astronomy. The topic was those images beaming back to Earth from the James Webb Telescope. 
And the evening began with Dr. Dupree sharing some facts for all us astronomy idiots. The Hubble telescope is about the size of an 18-wheeler. The Webb telescope is about the size of a Boeing 737. And its mirror surface is six times greater than the Hubble's. The Webb telescope is NASA's most over-budget and past due date mission ever. And after these photos, who cares? The Webb sees the very first objects to form in the universe as it cooled after the Big Bang 13 plus billion years ago, a previously unseen time that scientists call cosmic dawn. The web works with infrared light because as light travels through the inexpressible vastness of space and time, its wavelengths stretch shifting the light beyond the visible spectrum. And in that instantly famous first image from the Webb telescope, if you haven't seen it, please look it up, you can see thousands of galaxies. Now get this, if you were to pick up a grain of sand and hold it at arm's length, that is how much of the sky is taken in by that image, that image that includes thousands of galaxies. All of that and so much more is what science can show us and help us understand. In addition, not instead of, but in addition to what science helps us understand, by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God so that what is visible was made from things that are not visible. So then faith involves a stretching of the imagination to grasp that what we see, whether the limits of visible light or the as yet unrealized promises of God, what we see is not the full extent of what there is or what there will be. Okay, back to the other two verses. How about the most well-known line? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for. I wonder if that's what faith feels, to be assured of what we hope for, feels like an internal calm that lingers despite the world's best efforts to dislodge it. It's a sometimes stronger than other times trust that no matter what's happening around us, God's promises, grace, justice, peace, mercy, those promises are trustworthy. The assurance of things hoped for feels like confidence that persists as a, a faint ember, glowing however faintly, knowing that God is somehow working God's will even now. 
The assurance of things hoped for feels something like that. The conviction of things not seen, maybe that's what faith has the courage to notice. Realities beyond what's available to the ordinary eye. I mean, we're not blind. We look around and see the world in a heap of hurt. But faith is also not blind. Our faith looks around and, kind of like an infrared telescope, sees, in addition to the heap of hurt, other realities too. Faith's courageous conviction notices a world that God so loves, notices a springing forth new creation in which nothing is impossible with God. And finally, there's the notably unlyrical verse. By faith, our ancestors received approval. Received approval? Whose approval? Well, God's approval. Elsewhere, it's translated as gained commendation or realized approbation. As best I can take it in, this suggests that faith is the mechanism by which we humans know God's love. John Calvin wrote that faith is a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence toward us. So faith is how we recognize and accept and live into God's love. Faith is what works within us to open us to that love. Faith enables us to receive and return the love that God has had for every one of us since before those thousands and thousands of galaxies were formed. But here's the thing. Faith is not something we can just gin up for ourselves. Like all good things, faith is a gift from God. In these times of weariness and worry, when to know and trust God's love would indeed be a life-giving gift, let me share a trio of theologian-recommended theologian steps that we can take to shore up our faith. The first, is to realize the importance of faith, to yearn for it, pray for it, seek after it. The second is to situate yourself in circumstances where the gift of faith is readily acknowledged. Circumstances where you hear, not just from the pulpit, about God's gracious presence. Yes, church, that would be church. We need to hear this story of God's loving promise and God's ongoing work. Hearing again and again of God's trustworthiness plants within us the seeds of trust in God, and that's faith. But we also must experience God's love, not just hear about it, which is why the church has the sacraments. There's baptism wherein we recognize ourselves and one another as members of God's family. And then 
there's the Lord's Supper, where not just a few, but all are welcomed, where we are invited, not because we are strong and perfect, but because we are weak and broken, where we receive what we cannot give ourselves. We receive God's self as nourishment for the life of faith. For all its flaws and issues, and oh my, do we have flaws and issues, the church is nonetheless where we hear about and experience what it is to receive God's faith-nurturing love. And the third step is, both inside and outside of church, to cultivate the faith we receive from God by just going ahead and starting to live as people of faith, giving thanks, forgiving others, doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly with God. As we come to God's table, and indeed throughout this week, tired though we may be, let's pray for one another to experience faith, to have the courage and the imagination and the conviction and the hope to feel confidence in God's love, trust in God's trustworthiness, and faith in God's infinite and eternal faithfulness. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.